please uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15, we're going to look at verses uh, 17 uh, through... Thirty, thirty-one. First Samuel fifteen, seventeen to thirty-one. Um, when when you hear obedience, when I say obedience, when we talk about obedience, what do you think of? Spanking. Okay. All right. Because that's what happens when you disobey. Right. Yeah. A lot. Did you say a lot? <laughs> Somebody else, what do you, what do you, when I say obedience, when we talk about obedience, what do you think of? Doing what you're told, okay? Alright. Slavery. You think of slavery, okay? Good. Somebody else? I won't proceed with the sermon until everybody talks. No, I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. But anybody else want to chime in there? What do you think of when we say obedience, when we talk about obedience? Okay. What's the bare minimum I can do and still obey? Oh, man. I bet we all think of that, right? Or where's the loophole where I can not do this but still obey, right? I can still technically Obey, like, um, it was the other day, I was at um, the original Pancake House, by the way, just, that's a good place to eat breakfast if you've never been there, and, um, and uh, I was kind of waiting for the guy I was meeting, and there were these two guys over this table talking, and, they, and one of them was an attorney, and he was talking about how he got pulled over for speeding, and he told the, the um, officer who pulled him over that technically... He couldn't detain him because he was an attorney on his way to court, and technically he couldn't be detained for speeding. Uh, and uh, you know what? That attorney still got a ticket, <laughs> and so he that's because that's what he was talking about. You know, so we have to look for that technicality so we can get out of obedience. Well, when I when when I hear obedience, when we talk about obedience, I think of the Princess Bride. Good thing Phyllis isn't in here, right? She's because she doesn't like that movie. What's up with that? Yeah, the, you know, remember that part in the, early in the movie when when uh, uh, Wesley is just the farm boy, and before Princess Buttercup is Princess Buttercup. You know, she's just Buttercup, I guess. You know, and and she would say, "Farm boy, fetch me that pitcher," and he would say, "As you wish," and she'd say. Farm boy, get my horse. And he would say, as you wish. And then Columbo tells us, the narrator, who is Columbo, by the way, in the movie. Uh, uh, he says, he tells us that every time Wesley obeyed and said, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. So that's what I think of when I think of obedience, because when we're talking about obeying God, when we're talking about obeying the voice, voice of the Lord, because God so delights in obedience. When we obey, when we say to God, as you wish, just like Wesley, to Buttercup, we're saying to God, I, I love you. Because we're, we are 
giving to God that which he delights in. So let's let's think about that this morning. We're, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 15. We're going to start reading in verse 17. But really, there, there's a wider context here. There, there's, there's a little more of the, the story that we, we need to understand. And really, what's going on in 1 Samuel 15 goes all the way back to Exodus. Now, I'm not going to talk about everything that happens from Exodus to 2 Samuel 15. Okay, I promise I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you that as Israel was coming up out of Egypt, okay, when they were, when they were leaving Egypt and leaving their captivity, the, the Amalekites attacked them when they were weary, uh, when they were running. The Amalekites attacked and they didn't attack them head on. They had kind of attacked them from the rear. In other words, they, all, those who were the weakest, those that were the most tired, uh, those that were injured, that's who the Amalekites kind of attacked from the rear, uh, you know, in, in a very cowardly way. Well, you know, let's be honest. They were, they were, they were cowardly in, in what they did. And, and God was not pleased. And God vowed a punishment, a judgment, a vengeance. And now, fast forward to the time of King Saul. God decides that now is the time for God to execute His judgment, His punishment on the Amalekites. Hear that. This is God's judgment and God's punishment that God Himself vowed and promised. It's not Israel's punishment. It's not Israel's revenge. It's not Israel's vengeance, but it's God's judgment, His punishment that He promised, that He proclaimed on the Amalekites. And God instructs King Saul how to carry that out. He says, Saul is to take the armies of Israel and attack the Amalekites and completely and totally and utterly destroy them. Wipe them out. Kill every... And I, I, I admit this sounds to us sometimes it's a little bit harsh sounding. It's not because God is holy. Okay, This isn't harsh. But, but sometimes it seems like it to us. But it's not because God is holy. We're not holy, so we don't know. We don't, we don't know what it means to be offended with unholiness. Because we're not holy. Okay? So, so we, don't, we don't get that. But God says, wipe them out. Every man, woman, child. And destroy every, everything. Devote everything to destruction. Don't keep any sheep, goats, oxen, people. Kill everything. This is my judgment that I proclaim against these people, that they be utterly and completely destroyed. And so Saul takes the armies of Israel and he goes out to the Amalekites and he attacks. And they kill everyone except the king. They keep the king alive. And they destroy all of the livestock except the best of the livestock. So the weak, the injured, 
the tired, that's what they destroy. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> that's the livestock that, that the armies of Israel destroyed. But the very best, they keep that. Just let me ask. Did Saul obey or disobey? He disobeyed. Okay, let's want to make sure we, we grasp that. It's important for us to understand that Saul disobeyed the word of God. He had very clear instruction on what he was to carry out. And then God came to the prophet Samuel. And said to Samuel, okay, Saul has, has disobeyed. He's not kept my word. He's not done as I have instructed. I have rejected him as king. I've rejected him as king. And now you've got to go and tell him that I've rejected him as king and I've chosen another. And Samuel's mad. Samuel is mad. He's so upset. And, and I think Samuel's upset for a couple of reasons. I think I think he's a little bit upset that he's going to do this whole get a king again thing because you know getting Saul to be king wasn't easy, okay? And of course Samuel was right at the heart of all that. Now Samuel's got to go through all that again, you know. So I think Samuel maybe for his own sake and for what it cost him in effort and and, and everything to to see Saul become king and knowing he's going to do that again. Like he's upset and he's angry about that, but he's also angry at Saul for disobeying the word of the Lord. And Samuel actually cries out to God throughout the night on behalf of Saul and the people of Israel because of this situation. But by morning, Samuel knows what he must do. So he rises early and he goes to meet Saul. And as he approaches Saul, Saul says, greets him. And says, I've done all that the Lord has commanded. I mean, this if this were a movie, this would be a great scene. Okay. You know, here approaches Samuel the prophet, and there's some heavy music in the back. You know, like that, I guess, going on. Um, I mean it might I mean it could it might almost be the Imperial March, the Darth Vader music. It could almost be that. Not quite though, because but so here comes Samuel. He's approaching Saul, and and you can imagine Saul, you know, on this plane with his his tent pitched, you know, and and there are these sheep and and, and oxen kind of grazing freely around Saul's tent, and it, there's and Saul's tent is the biggest, and and it's white, and there's gold, you know, trim made. I'm not, that's part I'm embellishing a little bit. I know this. There's no, there's not a biblical description of Saul's tent on the plane or wherever, you know, but but I, I can imagine that, and this is the scene in the movie, and, and Samuel approaches, and you hear the sheep bleeding, and the, and the oxen lowing, and, and, and Saul sees Samuel coming, and he, you know, walks out to the front of his tent, arms open wide, with a tattoo, sweet knives, and, uh, <laughs> and, and he says, I greet you, prophet! I've done all that the Lord has commanded. And as soon as he says that, there's a little bit of sound you hear. As a reminder that he has not obeyed all that the Lord has commanded. And Samuel says, then what is this bleeding of sheep and lowing of oxen that I hear? 
is if you've really obeyed everything that the Lord has commanded, why do I hear those sheep? Why do I hear those oxen? You've not obeyed. You've not obeyed. And because of that, the Lord has rejected you as king. And he's chosen another. Then we pick up in verse 17. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, you are, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of the people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow down before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. And of course, the central, the central part of this passage, the central verse in the passage is, is, is 22, when the prophet asks the rhetorical question, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And, of course, the answer is no. <laughs> God does not have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. In fact, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Well, why is that true? Why is it that God so delights in obedience. I think that's the question that we need to answer this morning, and the text answers the question for us. But, I mean, we need to answer that question for our own lives. Because as we think about our lives before God, the lives that we live in relationship with God, the way we delight Him 
The way we offer something delightful to God is through our obedience. Well, why is it that God so delights in obedience? I think to answer that question, we need to understand why God so despises disobedience. Because the, the reason that God despises and is offended and, and judges that disobedience helps us to understand why he so delights in obedience. And Saul answers that question for us even when he admits his sinfulness. He, he admits one of the reasons why that disobedience is so, is so despised by God because it's a misplacement of fear. Saul said, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, well, I wanted to kill everybody. I wanted to destroy all the sheep and oxen. I, mean, I wanted to completely obey, but the people, they wanted the, they, they wanted the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to you, God. And I, I feared them, so I obeyed their voice. Saul feared the people more than he feared God. So he obeyed the voice of the people more than he was willing to obey the voice of God. A misplacement of fear. That, that, that's... That's one reason God so despises disobedience. When we disobey the voice of the Lord, when anyone disobeys God's word, we're saying, I fear something else more than you, God. Whether it be, I, I, I fear, in, in Saul's case, I fear the people that I lead. I fear that they will revolt. But sometimes our disobedience is, well, God, I'm afraid I just won't enjoy life as much. God, I, I, I fear uh, my own boredom. God, I, I fear my own unfulfilled desires. God, I, 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 or I fear my, my people. You know, maybe it's, I, well, God, I, I fear my family. Or, you know, I, fear, I fear my friends. God, I'm afraid my friends will leave me if I obey you. It's a misplacement of fear. And, and we often talk about how God alone is worthy of our worship and He's worthy of our praise. And that is absolutely true. God alone is the one who is worthy of our worship and our praise. But He's also the one who's worthy of our fear. God is worthy of our fear. You know, when, when everything is said and done... There's only one thing left to be said. Fear God and obey His commandments. This is all that man can do. I mean, that, that's, that's Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes when he, when he has tried everything there is to try in life. When he's tried to satisfy himself with, you know, with, with pleasure and with plenty and with wisdom and not and everything. And, and Solomon's conclusion is, Really, man can only do one thing. Fear God and obey His commandments. I mean, and I'd say a, a little something about fear here. 
You know, we, we do fear God. Now, as followers of Christ, for those who have put their faith in, in, in Jesus, the way we fear God is a little bit different than the way the unbeliever fears God. The unbeliever fears God because of their destruction. At least, that's the kind of fear they need to have. They need to fear that God is going to destroy them. Okay? The kind of fear that, that the believer needs to have, the, the one who's in Christ, is that I'm going to disappoint him. I'm going to offend him. This one I revere. You know, it's, it's a fear not for my life, but fear of my life. Not, not fear for my life that will be taken away from me, but fear that my life will not honor this one I revere. But it's still fear. And when our fear is misplaced, it's in disobedience. When we disobey, that fear is misplaced. I, I would also suggest that there's all in, in disobedience, there's a, a misplacement um, of praise. There's a misplacement of praise. Uh, we, we read in, in 1 Samuel that when Saul first defeats the Amalekites, he goes and he sets up an image to himself. He, he builds himself a statue to honor himself. Okay. Whose who's judgment was it upon the Amalekites? It was God's. Who promised that judgment? God. Whose plan was it? God's. So it's God's promised judgment. It's God's judgment because God had been offended. And it was God's plan and God's instruction and God's power and might. Why did Saul set up an image to himself? Did he do anything? In fact... Um, he did two things. Diddly and squat. Okay, those are the two things Saul did. And the third, disobey. Okay, he did diddly squat and disobeyed. That, that, that's what Saul did. But yet Saul, in his pride and, and in his misplacement of praise, set up an image to himself so that he would be praised so that he himself would be glorified, that he would make a name for himself. Okay? When his concern should have been giving God the praise and giving God the glory and making a name for God, for increasing his fame, God's fame, not Saul's fame. It was a, a complete misplacement of praise. And also a misplacement of pleasure. 
a misplacement of pleasure. Samuel says to Saul, why did you, did you say, swoop down upon the spoil? I want to get, I want to make sure I get this word right. Pounce, thank you. Yeah. Why did, why did you pounce on the spoil? Okay, well, the word, that, that pounce is the same word if we go back to like, I think it's just chapter 14, where uh, Israel attacks and defeats the Philistines. And same word, the people pounced on the spoil, devoured it, and they, and they, they just killed it right there on the battlefield and ate it with the blood still in it. They, they pounced on it and gorged themselves with all this meat. So Samuel views it the same way. Samuel, who's speaking for God, says, why did you pounce on this spoil just like you pounced on that over there? And let me go back a little bit and ask you, okay, when one offers a sacrifice to God, an animal sacrifice, who gets to eat the meat? It's the one who offers the sacrifice. Okay? Do, do you see that, that, oh God, we kept the, the choicest and the fattest of the meat to offer a sacrifice to you. See how self-serving that was? It wasn't that they wanted to offer good sacrifices to God. They wanted to have a good barbecue. They, they wanted the pleasure of all that meat. I've got to admit, I can kind of understand that a little bit, okay? You know, I, I myself um, find seared animal flesh pleasurable, okay? All right? But, <laughs> but in this case, it's a misplacement of pleasure. They still wanted to fill their bellies with the choice meats and find their pleasure in that instead of finding their pleasure in God, in obeying His voice. That's life's true pleasure. That's where we find our deepest satisfaction. That's where we find our greatest good. That's where we find our greatest pleasure, is in obeying the voice of the Lord. So, disobedience is a misplacement of, of, of pleasure. Now, this disobedience is also, Samuel says, as the sin of divination. He says, rebellion, like this rebellion, this disobedience, is, the sin, is, is, is as the sin of divination. Get an idea how that works? How is disobedience as the sin of divination? Think about it. What is divination? It's a means for divining the truth or, or de de divining what to do to gain an answer, to get wisdom. To you see, when God gives us a word, a command... And we disobey. We're saying, you know what, God? I know you've got your way, but I'm going to look for another means of wisdom. I'm going to look for another means of truth. 
When we disobey, we're saying, God, I don't believe your truth. I'm going to find truth another way. God, I, I don't lie. I don't believe your plan. I'm going to find my answer some other. I'm going to divine my answer some other way, you know, and, and that's why it's the sin of divination, because we are attempting to div- divine an answer, divine a truth without looking to the one who is truly divine. Okay, without looking to God, the one who knows all, sees all, the one who is truth. We're looking for it somewhere else and trying to find it some other way. And most often it's consulting, you know, the wizard of self, the necromancer of of self. You know, actually, that's probably not true. Not necromancer. That's people that talk to the dead to get answers. So. I, that was probably the wrong one. Okay, but you know, like you know, you hear what I'm saying? That you know, the wizard and witch of self, because I, because I know best, not you, God. That's essentially God. When I disobey, I know best, not you. I'm consulting the wizard of my wisdom instead of the source, you of all wisdom. That's why disobedience is as of divination. It's seeking an answer from self instead of an answer from God. But Samuel also says that that this, this disobedience, this presumption, is as of the iniquity of idolatry. So, when we disobey, not only are we guilty of divination, we're also guilty of idolatry. Because when we disobey, not, our, not only are we saying, God, I'm going to consult myself instead of you. We're saying, God, I'm going to trust myself instead of you. Because when we disobey, we don't just hear what self has to say. We do what self has to say. So... We dethrone God in our lives and place ourselves on that throne when we disobey. And we are guilty of the cult of self, idolatry of self. We become our idol. We become our God. When we did, because, again, we say to God, God, you don't know best. I know best. And this is why God so despises disobedience. But now here's the flip side. When we obey God, we are rightly placing our fear where it belongs. We demonstrate that we fear God. We demonstrate that we fear the Lord. And fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is all that man can do is fear God and obey His commandments. We're, we're following Jesus' command to fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. Okay? When, when, when we obey, we have a proper placement of fear. We demonstrate that we indeed fear God who is worthy of our fear. But also when we obey God, when we obey God, then we there's a proper placement 
of praise. Because when we obey God, then we give God the praise and glory for the results. Okay? When we obey God, we give Him the praise and the glory for the results. Man, this came so home to me one time in Cuba. Uh, one of the many mission trips I've been to in Cuba, one time we were in this small village and we're doing door-to-door, house-to-house uh, you know, evangelism. And my, uh, my, my young interpreter, who was a young uh, Cuban college student, and I, we go to this one house and we're talking to this woman. And, and um, we're talking and, we, of course, we already told her everything about ourselves and we're telling to, talking to her about Jesus. And she's got all these excuses. She's like, I believe this and that, but I can't be a Christian. I can't go to church because of this, because of that. And finally, she gets down to it and she says, I want to be honest with you. The reason I do not become a Christian and go to church is because I work for Cuban security. My, room, my, my roommate. My translator's like, okay, we got to leave. He's like, let's get out of here now. He's scared to death. I was like, man, we've already told her everything about ourselves. She knows why we're here. She knows where we're staying. She, we told her who the pastor of the house church was. We told her everything. I mean, she's going to burn us. She's going to burn us. So, let's just stay. And, um, and through the course of the conversation, that woman came to faith in Christ. She was willing to give up her job, her livelihood, everything to follow Christ. And we get back to the church and the other teams that were out. My, my translator was just like, oh, Pastor Jim, he's so brave. Pastor Jim, he's so wonderful. He said, this is what he did. Da, 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 da. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not brave. And I didn't do anything. Because let me tell you the rest of the story. Today, I didn't want to go out. In fact, I was this close to telling everyone that I didn't feel well so I could stay here and just not go out. Because I was afraid. I, I, was, gonna, I was just going to fake being sick. Well, I didn't really quite have to... Well, oh, no, yes I did. There's that technical thing. I was, I was looking for a loophole right there. See, right there I was looking for a loophole. But I was going to lie. I was going to fake being sick so I didn't have to go out because it was uncomfortable to go door to door and share the gospel. Okay? But I was like, oh, man, I'm here with all these students. I'm the leader. I'm their campus minister. I have to go. I can't stay back here. And I sort of begrudgingly went out that day sharing the gospel. And there's the result. Now, was I brave? No. <laughs> I'm scared. Did I do anything? No. God did. God did that work. God was already at work in that woman's heart and her life. God did that work. I didn't do that work. God did it. So he deserves the praise. He gets the glory for that. Did I obey? Yes, I did. I went out. <laughs> I went out like I was supposed to. and did. What I, I obeyed. But you know, even that was God's doing. Even that obedience was God's doing. Wasn't mine. So when we obey, when we obey, God gets the praise. We, God gets the glory. God gets the fame. We make a name for Him. We display His fame. We point the spotlight on Him when we obey. Because we're obeying His word. We're obeying His voice. We're obeying His plan. We can't take credit for any of those things because he, he, those are His. Okay? We're simply walking in obedience. And when we obey, 
then there's a proper placement of pleasure. When we obey, we're finding our satisfaction in God. Not in anything else, anyone else, but in God and in Him alone. That, that, that's where we are finding our pleasure when we obey. And when we obey, we're affirming, we are affirming God's Word. We're affirming the truthfulness of God's Word when we obey. By our very obedience, we are saying, God, Your Word is true. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't obey it, right? If God's word wasn't true, we wouldn't obey it. But when we obey, we're saying, God, your word is true. We are affirming the truthfulness of God's word when we obey. And when we obey, we are recognizing God's rightful place on the throne. That he indeed is God. We are affirming him as God. We are reaffirming that truth with our lives when we obey. This is why God so delights in obedience. You know, uh, our community group just um, just finished this spring, uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And there's one chapter in there um, where Francis is talking about he was, um, you know, at this conference or whatever, and then he spoke, and and then and and, and he was talking about, you know, just obeying God and, and going where God calls you to go and going where you need to, you know, and all, all that. And, and even, you know, sort of taking a little bit of a radical uh, uh, picture of that. It's like, you know, if, you, if, you, if, if God wants you to, you know, move to some other country, then you should drop everything and go and all this kind of stuff. And this guy comes up to Francis afterwards and says, you know, you know God, uh, I, I, I think that I should, you know, be a, uh, a missionary. For a long time, I've thought I needed to be a missionary and live, you know, live in some other country. But, you know, if I did that now, it, it would just be out of obedience. Like somehow, like somehow obedience was a bad thing. Like, like, like obeying God wasn't quite enough. That somehow, well, what I real like, if I do, when I, if I do this, I want it to be because I want to, not just because God wants me to. And the guy didn't understand obedience. And Francis, like, his response was like, and so? You know, like, okay, what's the deal? What's the, the nobey, you know? What's the problem? Um, there is no just obedience. It's just, it, it's, it's obedience. Not simply obedience or only obedience. There's no... The, the, there's no diminishing. We don't need to diminish obedience and relegate it as some unimportant thing because it's what God delights in. He delights in our obedience. And then, you know, there's one other thing that I think we have to recognize. And that is when we obey, when we obey, we affirm the gospel. Because the gospel teaches we can't obey. In our flesh, we can't obey. We are all sinners. 
We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all, you know, dead in our trespasses and our sins. We have no power to obey God at all. And that's why we have the gospel. That's why Jesus has come. That's why Jesus suffered and died. That's why he was gloriously raised to life. That's why he became a propitiation for us. Okay? And so when we, so we could obey. Before Christ, we cannot obey. But by God's grace expressed to us in Christ, as we repent and believe, we are empowered to obey. And so every act of obedience says, it's Jesus. So when, when, when I obey, when you obey, we're pointing to Jesus. Because we can't obey without Jesus. And without Jesus, there is no obedience. We've got no power to obey unless Christ empowers our obedience as we have faith in Him. So every, every act of obedience is gospel affirmation. It's gospel living. And it points to Jesus and shines the light of our lives on Him. I think there's really just one conclusion this morning. Obey. Let's obey. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've granted us obedience in Christ. God, thank you that because Jesus has left heaven and come to earth, lived a sinless life, suffered and died and taken our sin upon Himself, and because you have gloriously raised Him from the dead and, and forever accepting His sacrifice, thank you that we can obey. And Father, now I pray that, that we will place our fear where our fear needs to be, and that's upon you, fearing you by our obedience. And God, may by, by the way we obey, may we rightly place praise and glory where it belongs on you. And God, by our obedience, may we find our greatest pleasure in you. God, help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.